0: The fourth parak opens up, <clears throat> And it was to yona a very, very bad thing, a ra'ag it appeared to <clears throat> yona as a very bad thing, <clears throat> and it caused him much <clears throat> upsetness, much anger. V'yicharlo <clears throat> here normally <clears throat> doesn't mean, the Emigdav explains, it doesn't mean anger, but it means pain, it pained him greatly. Now, apparently, Yonah was very upset by the fact that Nineveh did Tshuva. The problem is, we don't know how, in fact, he knew that, that Nineveh did Tshuva. After all, he just walked around and told them, Now, Hashem had decided not to destroy them, but how did Yonah know it? And the Reddak explains to us that, He knew, Hashem allowed him to know Baruch HaKodesh that in fact the decree was annulled and in fact it was turned around. Now why then was he so affected? Why was he so upset? Malbim said that he saw exactly what had happened. The people of Nindi, they did tshuva from Gezel, but they didn't do chuva from everything else. They were still involved in all their iniquities, they still involved in idol worship, they were still involved in all illicit relations which means really they didn't do any tshuva. The reason why they're not being destroyed is because they didn't have this demand right now for destruction because Gezel, stealing, demands immediate repayment. So the Gezel part, the stealing part, was removed, but they didn't do any actual tshuva, which meant to Yonah the following. It's clear that that which I feared really is coming true. It's not that Hashem wants them to do tshuva, and not that Hashem assumes that they're going to do tshuva, but rather that just that Hashem wants to keep them around exactly as I always suspected. And this proves my suspicion that the only reason why Hashem wants them around <coughs> is so that they can be used as a whip <coughs> against the Klayasrol, because <coughs> had they done a real tshuva, and they really changed, then I could argue maybe I was mistaken. Really, Hashem sent me <coughs> out of concern for them to keep them around. But since they didn't, and yet Hashem has forgiven him, obviously my suspicion is correct, Hashem only sent me because Hashem wants to keep them around to destroy the Klai Yisrael. <coughs> and because of that, it caused them a tremendous amount of pain and he was very, very bothered. And by his palal Hashem, and he davant Hashem Vayomar, and he said, An Hashem, please Hashem. Isn't this that matter which I was discussing while I was still on my land, when I was still in Tashisha <coughs> And that is in fact the reason why I escaped, I ran away to Tarshisha, meaning to say, the whole reason I ran away was so I shouldn't have this nevuah. so I shouldn't tell them, so that they shouldn't do Tshuva, so I should not be a part of the hurting of the Jewish people, Ki Adati, Ki Vrachum, because I know that you are a merciful God, Erechapayim, long and slow to anger, and greatly kindly, and you forgive the bad. I know, Hashem, that you have the midah of forgiveness. <clears throat> I know, Hashem, that you could potentially forgive them. This is what I was afraid of. And in fact, that's what came about. <clears throat> and explains the Pesach further, <clears throat> Yonah goes on to say, Now, Hashem, please take my life from me, <clears throat> because my death is better than my life. And the Malbim <clears throat> explains that basically... He was feeling tremendous guilt. I caused this. And the Radak explains, it's better for me to die than for me to see the bad for the Israel. Take me out. I caused this. I can't stand to see the Jewish nation being harmed. Don't keep me in life any longer. Count me out of here. And he basically asked Hashem to end his life. And this is illustrative of what a Manig B'Yisrael is, meaning here's a person... <clears throat> who obviously was bothered by the Ra that the Kaleiashal did, <clears throat> as a person who is a mochiach, a teacher of the generation, <clears throat> and one who's responsible to give them tocha tochocha, <clears throat> to give them rebuke, obviously the bad that the Kaleiashal was doing should bother him tremendously. <clears throat> the Jewish nation were involved in all types of idol worship, all types of sins, and he, as a righteous <laughs> servant of Shem, should be tremendously bothered. Eliyahu and Levi couldn't stand as the kin of Hashem He had such vengeance for the honor of Hashem that he literally (coughs) couldn't stand what he was seeing. Jonah was also a very righteous person. It should have bothered him tremendously the fact that the classical were doing bad things. (coughs) And in fact, (coughs) it probably did, but still he loved the Jewish people (coughs) and he loved them so much that he couldn't stand to see their detriment. And if I've been a part (coughs) of being harmed, I can't stand it. Count me out of here. Hashem, end my life. And with those words, (coughs) he literally asked Hashem to die. (laughs) HaShem said to him, Is your upsetness, is your distress really great? Now this is a little strange because there is no answer. And the Rishonim explained to us that what HaShem is saying here is that your emotions are incorrect. You're very upset at me, explains Zoradak, because I had Rachmanus, because I had mercy upon people who did tshuva. That emotion isn't correct. And the Radak explains that every, everything from this point on is for Yonah's education. The entire events are going to come about. The Kikayan, the shade-giving plant, all of that that's to happen is <coughs> for one reason, because Hashem wants to teach the Vyov. Hashem wants to teach His Prophet the right way. The Ebenezer also <coughs> uses a very similar expression. <coughs> it was a <coughs> and illustration and <coughs> to explain to Yonah that where his mistake was to explain to him his mistaken thought. Yona left the city. He sat to the east of the city. He made some sort of dwelling place there, was something over his head. He sat under it in the shade. Until he would see what would be in the, in the city. Meaning this is well before the forty days are to end he walked into the city and told them to do tshuva he very shortly thereafter left and he sat to the east of the city to see <clears throat> Explains Radak, he was waiting maybe their tshuva won't stick yes they did tshuva yes Hashem decided not to destroy them but maybe they'll return to their bad ways maybe they'll return to their evil ways and Hashem will destroy him. so he sat waiting now clearly it was very hot and he built this sukkah and he built this sort of Tent covering to protect himself from the <coughs> extreme heat, and <coughs> there he waited. Hashem <coughs> Nashem God prepared a kikayan, sometimes called a gourd, some type of plant, again that <coughs> has large leaves and provides much shade. Vayal <coughs> al-lyona, and it spread over Yona. arosho <coughs> to be a shade giver on his head. mira <coughs> also to save him from the bad. And Yonah felt a tremendous happiness over this Kikoyen. Now the word Vayema'en is used four times in this Megillah, in this Sefer. There are only 40 Ipsukim in all of Sefer Yonah. And four times the word Vayema'en is used. The word Vayema'en is a bit unusual. It means prepared. It means mezuman. It means it's, a, it's an unusual language of preparation. And each time that it's used, it's actually indicative of exactly that, that Hashem is planning beforehand. Hashem is pre-planned and is preparing things for the future. And each time that it's used, it has exactly that connotation here. The connotation is that Hashem prepared a kikayun, because again, Hashem was teaching Nevi'ov, <coughs> Hashem was teaching his Navi a very important lesson. Now, the Ezra explains that Yona was very sensitive to the heat. He had been in the fish for the three days, even though he was so much shielded, still his skin was apparently very, very much raw, and all of his hair on his flesh had been eaten out by the enzymes in the uh, in the fish. He was very sensitive to the sun. That's why he built this, um, this sukkah on top of him. And when the sukkah wasn't sufficient, and this kikayon came and protected him, he had a simcha gedol, a tremendous amount of joy. alokim tolas, and Hashem prepared a worm, at sunrise, the next day, and this worm attacked the kikayon and it dried up, meaning it began eating, at the uh, water flow, eating at the root of the kikayon, and the kikayon dried up. And it was when the sun shined, the Yaman is that word again, Hashem prepared Immanuchim Hashem prepared an eastern wind, Kharshish, a very powerful gale type of wind. And the sun afflicted Yonah's head. But and he was covered by the heat. Vaishalas he nafsha Lamosi asked his life to die. The Yomatov Mosi Mikayai Better is my death than my life. Now, Hashem prepared this Ruach Kadim. In the desert, a chamsim is a very, very hot wind, a very strong wind that blows the heat. It's like a burst of a furnace, a very hot burst of heat. It was so powerful, the sun was so strong, and this wind was so unbearable, that as Zeradak explained, he was in extraordinary pain. He didn't think he could stand any longer this great pain. His nefesh almost literally left him. He was so afflicted and so pained by it. He wasn't giving up on life. He wasn't saying, Hashem, kill me. But it was so bad that he literally didn't think he could hold on any longer because of the extreme pain that he was experiencing at that point. The Elohim al Hashem then says to Yonah, <coughs> was it good <coughs> this anger you felt this <coughs> upsetness you felt on this Kikayan <coughs> did you feel it very strongly <coughs> I felt it so acutely <coughs> I literally felt it <coughs> until death I felt it so powerfully and I felt literally I was going to die this Kikayan <coughs> saved me I had a Simcha gadola because of it and now it's left me and now I'm left despondent Hashem, Hashem said, you had mercy on the Kikoyin that you didn't work for and you didn't bring up you didn't grow it in the evening it came and in the morning it went and here again as the Redak explains is where Hashem is giving Yonah a Kavachomer, a muscle, and to help him feel what he was missing Basically, Hashem is saying, you had mercy on this Kaka'in, yet you didn't work for this Kaka'in, you didn't grow it at all, and the night it came, and the night it left us. The Radak explains that these three elements are typically why a person will value something. If you didn't work for something, you don't value it. If you didn't see it grow, you don't value it. If it came instantly, you don't value it that which we human beings value are things that we labor in things that we work for and when you're amal for something then you appreciate it and when you see it grow when it starts as a small fledgling and then it grows and grows that's something you become attached to and that's something that you greatly value and when it proceeds over a course of time that's something that you become attached to now if you would imagine for a minute the following imagine that a man (coughs) begins a business in the beginning he's very rocky (coughs) barely eats out a living he has expenses and he's in debt and then he (coughs) works 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 very hard very hard (coughs) finally he turns it around a little bit it's making a little bit of profit year after year it grows (coughs) his client base grows his product line grows he adds new employees (coughs) he adds a new facility and after 30 years he has a flourishing enterprise (coughs) a powerful flourishing enterprise (coughs) that's bringing in a fortune of money the man has such a simcha, such a joy, <coughs> such a satisfaction, because those three elements are there. He labored for it very, very <coughs> difficult, and in very real way. <coughs> he watched it grow, and it happened <coughs> over a long period of time, and <coughs> the man feels a tremendous attachment to that business, <coughs> and feels tremendous joy and satisfaction from it. Parallel of that to a rich kid, his father dies and leaves him 10 billion dollars the kid doesn't appreciate it doesn't mean anything to him oh it's great to be rich but there's no value in it to him he didn't labor in it he didn't watch it grow and it didn't happen over time and the Rishonim explained to us that what Hashem was saying to Yonah with this mushel is something very powerful Hashem feels that it could be an attachment to every creation Hashem doesn't work Hashem doesn't time doesn't exist by Hashem but if you take a human being and parallel that to Hashem, you'll have an understanding of Hashem's love for every creation. If you take a man who labored for years and years, grew after many, many decades his business, and finally sees it flourishing, if it could be that's Hashem's attachment, and that's Hashem's love to every creation. Even though Hashem did not Amal in it, but that's Hashem's giving kindliness, Hashem's mercy, Hashem's love, and Hashem feels that for every creation. And in fact, that's what Hashem was saying to Yonah. (coughs) Hashem was saying to Yonah, (coughs) that my attachment, my love for every creation is such, (coughs) that it's literally what you feel there. But (coughs) the Chazal tell us that when the Mitzrim was tovu Bayam, the Mitzrim spent decades, 210 years, torturing the Jewish people. And when they were drowning at the sea, this was the ultimate revelation of Hashem's hand in creation. This was the ultimate moment when the Jewish nation were being formed, (coughs) being redeemed, <clears throat> the entire Jewish nation reached a level of prophecy, and the Malachim wanted to sing Shira, this was the ultimate moment of Hashem's glory being shown to the world, and they wanted to sing out praise, they wanted to sing out <clears throat> Shira, and Hashem if it could be, says to the Malachim, Masa yadai tavu bayam, the creations of my hand, my handiwork are drowning in the ocean, <clears throat> how can you sing Shira, and for that reason the Jewish nation only sing part Shira, during Hallel because if it could be Hashem has pain meaning even though Hashem has redeemed his nation even though it's true that Hashem has such joy in the fact that he created the cholesterol as a nation redeemed them and even though the Jewish nation also enjoys tremendous simcha if it could be on some level that joy is marred because Hashem feels pain that his handiwork had to be drowned even though again his handiwork turned to bad and they free will and he destroyed himself and Hashem loves them and feels pain what Hashem was saying to Yonah was that's my relationship to every creation and <clears throat> that's the love I feel and therefore the anger that you feel was inappropriate and now the final part <clears throat> of that <clears throat> Hashem says shouldn't I have mercy on Ninve the large city <clears throat> Adam. that is more than 12 and 10,000 <clears> People, more than 120,000 people, who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, and many, many animals. Says Hashem to Yonah, shouldn't I have mercy on Ninveh, this great city that has more than 120,000 people who don't know their right to their left? <coughs> Explains Rashi that means Katan little children. You could tell me that the adults are guilty, they're culpable. You could tell me we shouldn't have mercy on them, <coughs> but 120,000 children who are innocent shouldn't I have mercy on them, or <laughs> and many, many animals, so and with this, Hashem finishes up the mushal and says, obviously, just like you had mercy on the Kikayan, so too, obviously, I should have mercy on Ninve, and that attitude is correct, that attitude is proper, and you, Yonah, should adopt that, should understand it, and should recognize that emotion as correct, now, there's one last part of that Pasuk, that's actually <coughs> quite, quite eye-opening. <coughs> it's a word of Behema Raba. Hashem says there are 120,000 innocent children and many, many. Behema <coughs> explains Rashi. That doesn't mean animals. Behema <coughs> Raba <coughs> means Bnei Odom, <adam>, men. Gedolim, <coughs> adults. V'daytum <coughs> ke and their understanding is like an animal. Sheinam akirim mi baram, because they do not recognize who created them meaning the first category is 120,000 innocent children who are exactly that, innocent because they don't have Das, they don't have understanding. The second category is behema. Rabbi Hashem says, I have to have mercy on Ninveh because there are these many many behema. And says, Rashi, that does not refer to animals, that refers to men. Why does the Torah <coughs> refer to them as behema? Because they have the Das, the understanding of behema, because they don't recognize who created them. Now, let's focus on those words for a moment. We know that the Torah is extraordinarily guarded. And the Torah is extremely careful in its word usage. In Parshas Noah, the Torah goes well out of its way. It says, When Hashem t- tells Noah which animals to bring into the Teva, <coughs> He says, bring the behemas Tahora, and bring those that are not tahor; those that are not pure. The Gemara makes an observation. There's a very easy, <coughs> short way of saying that. It's called Behema Temeah. <coughs> Why does the Torah use a much longer <coughs> expression, a Behema Shalot Torah, the Behema that is not <coughs> pure? Explains the Gemara, <coughs> because the Torah always uses a fine lushin. Torah doesn't want to call a Behema, an animal, Temeah, impure. It's not nice. It's true. <coughs> it's accurate. A donkey is impure. <coughs> a gamal, a camel, is impure. It's a Behema Temeah. <coughs> it's 100% true. It's not a fine kite. It's not nice. It's not. It's a nicer way, to, a more refined way of speaking. Say the behema that's not Torah, that's, that's not pure. So keeping that in mind, here's the following observation. The Torah here is referring to Adam, man. Man who is created in the image of Hashem. A man who Hashem says I would have created the whole world for and is calling him a behema, calling him an animal. I can't imagine a more debasing, a more de- derogatory expression than calling an a man, an animal. Why is the Torah doing that? And I think Rashi is explaining to us that the Pasuk is teaching us a fundamental concept. A human being is either the highest (coughs) creature in existence or the lowest. If a human being uses his time here well, (coughs) accomplishes and grows, he is greater than the Molochim, greater than the celestial beings, (coughs) the holiest creation imaginable. But on the other hand, (coughs) if he doesn't, then he becomes less than a behemoth. See, a human being who doesn't use this life properly, a human being who doesn't recognize Hashem, who doesn't grow, doesn't accomplish, doesn't use life <coughs> for the reason that Hashem gave him, is living like an animal, <coughs> lower than an animal, <coughs> because an animal does what it's supposed to. <coughs> he becomes almost valueless. He becomes <coughs> almost, on some level, <coughs> like a behemoth. Now you and I don't know. <coughs> when we meet someone on the street... We don't know who they are. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know their past. We don't know their future. So we're obligated to treat them with all the due respect to one who was created in the image of Hashem. (coughs) This is a human being. (coughs) This person, I don't care what his rank, (coughs) what his education, (coughs) what his level is, he was created in the image of Hashem, (coughs) Gentile a Jew. (coughs) Hashem says, I would have created the whole world for him alone. And because I don't know who he is, I'm obligated to treat him with all the due respect to such a person however Hashem knows who the person really is and when the person leaves this earth assuming that he didn't recognize Hashem then what we say is he was effectively a behemoth when Elsie the cow leaves this earth there's nothing that's left now Nefesh evaporates no one sits shiva for Elsie she came and she went with absolute no change in the world no meaning no purpose And that is a human being, either the greatest of the great or worthless. And if a human being doesn't recognize his creator, then he's effectively like a behemoth. But I want to stress something very important here. Rashi is not telling us that if a human being is wicked, if he kills, if he murders, if he steals all types of property, etc., that he's like a behemoth. Rashi is saying if he doesn't recognize his creator, if you have a Jew or a Gentile or any human being who is a, a vowed atheist or a fine agnostic and, you know, Darwin is right and, I, and what that means is that human being is living a life that is valueless now again, we can't judge him, we don't know but if he leaves this earth that way then he lived like a behemoth <clears throat> he is a behemoth and the Pussig is teaching us a tremendous, tremendous concept The human being has such awesome potential if you accomplish it but if you leave this earth the same as you came you didn't recognize your creator and understand why Hashem made you and you just stayed here and whatever then you are exactly what the apostle calls you a behemoth and there are two other points that I'd like to finish up with the next point is the way the Ebenezer Ezra and the explained to us what Hashem was doing you see this last part we said this kikoyon with the sudden growth and the worm eating it and then the entire thing was to teach Yonah a lesson it wasn't for the Kalei Israel, it wasn't for Nineveh, <coughs> it was to teach Yonah the Redak says and to make him wise and then Ezra uses an expression it was moshul, It was a parable to Hashem's Navi Navi is close to Hashem, Hashem loves <coughs> the, the Navi and therefore Hashem wanted to educate him so here's the question <coughs> apparently Yonah made a mistake he didn't recognize the extent of mercy that he should have had. Hashem said to him, Look, Ninveh has a lot of innocent children, and even the Gentiles there, keep in mind the fact they're, they're not Sadiqim, they're not even serving me, but they're no less than a behemoth. A behemoth, you should have mercy on. Yes, they don't recognize me. Yes, they're not serving me, but you should have had mercy. Meaning to say, Yonah made a little bit of a mistake. He erred in the sense of how far mercy goes. So that's a pretty simple point. Why didn't Hashem just say, "Yonah, you're wrong. You thought I shouldn't have mercy on Inve. You're wrong. There are one hundred twenty thousand innocent children, and even the Goyim there—they're not so bad. We should have mercy on them. Why did Hashem need the drama? Why did we need the hot sun, the gourd plant that grows, and then the worm comes and eats it, and then again the the hot sun with the with the with the burst, the furnace burst of hot wind blowing? Who needs the drama? Let Hashem just tell Yonah, you made a mistake, really you should have more mercy. And I believe the answer to this question is fundamental to understanding life and growth in this world. And let me begin the answer with an interesting Gemara and Brachas. <coughs> Gemara and Brachas explains to us that one Tana was walking on the road, he stopped to Davin <coughs> and he's dominating Shemana Esrei, <coughs> when a certain Tsar, a certain, um, I guess you'd say, a general... In the Roman army, stops and says, Shalom. Now, this Tana was so involved in Ishmael Israe and his Tila that he didn't respond. And this Tsar waited, and when this Tana was finished davening, and this general turned to the Tana and said, By all rights, I should kill you. I said hello to you, and you didn't respond, I should kill you. At which point, the Tana said, Please, wait one moment. <coughs> Let me appease you and when I appease you he'll understand says the Tana to general sir imagine you were standing in front of the Caesar you were standing in front of the king himself and while you were speaking to the king another person came a friend of yours and said hello to you and imagine you were to turn away from the, the king and turn to your friend and say hi how are you and you begin a conversation with your friend <clears throat> what would be your punishment the general said my punishment would be death instant death Embarrass the honor of a king, (coughs) turn to speak to someone else in his presence, instant death. Explains the Tana, so too I. I was speaking to God, the King of all kings. (coughs) If I were to turn away from him (coughs) and speak to you, it would have been a dishonor to God. (coughs) Explains, says the general to the Tana, you are correct, (coughs) you are right, and I will save your life. And with that, (coughs) he left him alone. So let's ask the parallel question over there. (coughs) This general was a man of learning keep in mind in those times (coughs) the Romans (coughs) were sort of betwixt and between the Catholic Church was not what it is today and wasn't (coughs) until the 4th century anything of power many many Romans would study Judaism as an alternative because they were curious they wanted to know (coughs) they understood it as a system of enlightenment and it's clear that this (coughs) Sa respected this Tana (coughs) why didn't the Tana just say to him sir I was speaking to God you ask me why I didn't talk to you, because I was talking to God. God's a king, and, and, uh, and if I turn away from the king and talk to you, it's an embarrassment to God. Why does Tanah have to go through the whole scenario? Wait, let me, let me give you a marshal. Imagine that it's you. Imagine that you're talking to the king, and imagine that a friend of yours, and you turn away from the king. And, and sir, what would you, what would your punishment be? Why does Tanah have to go through the whole enactment, the entire scenario? And the answer is, because when it's you, and you experience it, you feel it, it's real what Natana was saying to this general was imagine that it's you and imagine that you're speaking to the king and imagine that you turn away and what would your decree be? Death and <gasps> now understand I'm speaking to God literally the same way and Natana not given that illustration the general would not have felt it to the same extent <clears throat> wouldn't have gotten it wouldn't have related to it I think what Hashem was explaining to Yonah was something in a way that Yonah could understand it See, we human beings, as much as we like to think that we're totally corporeal, we're all brain, the reality is we're very physical, and because of that, it's very difficult for us to understand things. It's certainly very difficult for us to feel many things. <clears throat> Hashem wanted Yonah to experience, to feel. Do <clears throat> you feel the pain? You've had this protector, you had this shade giver, and now it's gone. You feel a loss. Do you feel that emptiness? Do you feel that pain? Says Hashem to Yonah, that's the pain that I feel if it could be for people who would be killed. Feel it. Experience it. And only through that could Yonah actually experience it and gain the lesson that he had to learn. And I believe that this concept really is very fundamental to many, many situations that occur to us. Many times a person is put through a situation whether it be a loss, a tragedy, or pain, or whatever it may be, and turn to Hashem Hashem, why? Do I need this? Do I need this? And the answer is yes. The experiences of life change us. They shape us. They mold us. They make us into different people. And more than that, the thoughts that happen to us are usually fleeting and usually don't really shape who we are. I have an expression that I believe is very apt and very true. You can't learn Bitochen in the base medrash what I mean by that is as follows if you would like to learn to trust in Hashem obviously the first step is you have to learn the way Hashem runs the world you have to open a Chovos Vavos you have to open the Musa farm. you have to see how it is that Hashem runs the world you have to learn what trust means and you have to learn the basic techniques and the basic details of it but that's all cognitive work that's all in the brain if you spend a half hour every day in the base manager learning Bitochan you don't know anything it's not until you get into the thick and thin of life it's not until you have to make a mortgage payment it's not until you have to find a shirach and you can't find it it's not until the doctor says I have some bad news to you only when you're in the real experiences of life do you get to practice bituchen. you get to take your heavy load and transfer to Hashem you say to Hashem I've done my part Hashem you know better than I what's my best and I rely on you but you see it's experiential it's not cognitive it's not a idea. It is the idea in theory, but you see that theory is so far removed from the reality. It's so far away from us that it doesn't affect us. And those concepts have to become real, and have to become part of us, and have to become part of our reality. And only when they become part of our reality do they actually become effective, do they change us. As a very quick example, I like to use the following if I ask someone, do you have a Muna? Of course I have a Muna. Of course I have a Tuchen. Of course. And it's true. We have a Muna, we have a Tuchen, to a certain extent. And I'd like to explain to you what that means to a certain extent. If I'm on a balcony, fourth floor of a hotel, and I'm looking out at the street below, and I see an interesting car that passes, so I sort of lean over a little bit more to catch a look, and all of a sudden wind, went, oh! and I almost fall. I almost come crashing down to the concrete below. I just steady myself <clears throat> regain my composure my heart is racing now <clears throat> I've never fallen 40 feet to concrete how do I know it's going to hurt <clears throat> maybe it will not be so bad <clears throat> I was filled with fear <clears throat> racked with terror because I knew with 100% vada'yas with certainty <clears throat> that falling four floors to the concrete below would end very badly for me I've never experienced it, but I had total, complete Yediyah, that's knowledge. We don't have knowledge of Hashem. The ovos had, Moshe Beinu had, we work on it. We have it to a percentage, whatever that percentage is, 60%, 40%, 20%, but our job in life is to come to Yediyah, knowing Hashem, and to take concepts that we know in our mind as ideas, as thoughts and to feel them, to be margish them, to actually experience them. <coughs> we say <coughs> three times a day in Aleinu, ha'yom vashivosa el you should know these things today, and return them to your heart. You have to know them, and after you know them, you return them to the, your heart, because you have to feel them. And <coughs> the purpose of learning Musr, <coughs> much of the <coughs> situations that we go through in life, are to take knowledge, information, and be margish it, feel it, make it real, (coughs) experience it in a a very real sense, and I believe that's what Hashem was saying to Yonah (coughs) I want you to feel it, I want you to experience that pain, that loss, (coughs) then you'll understand, Kavyecho, what it's like for me and again, it's very (coughs) illustrative to us, because even a Chacham like Yonah, needed a concrete example, a very palpable concrete example to really get it to really understand it, (coughs) and I'd like to (coughs) end with one final point that I find very, very compelling and very very significant. Hashem <coughs> allows Yonah to know that Ninveh has begin has been forgiven. <coughs> At that point, Yonah has his complaint against Hashem. Hashem, <coughs> to and he says, I knew that this was going to happen. And why did I know this is going to happen? I knew that you were a merciful God and you forget you overlook or you turn away from the bad now those are interesting words they're similar to the Yud Gimomidos, regularly certainly in the Yom Kippur and Slichus we say the Yud Gimel Midos, the 13 attributes of mercy with Hashem created and runs the world now the words that Yoni used are some of them interesting enough in reverse order but only but a few of those words and not all of them use but a few of the 13 attributes and the question is why? why did he do this? what does he mean by this? and if you look in the Akronim you look in the Malbim, look in others they explain that really what was happening was that Yonah was exp- using an expression that refers to Tshuva that applies to Goyim the Rishonim explained to us that Tshuva is illogical <coughs> Tshuva does not make sense explains Mr. a simple example <coughs> imagine that I pull out a gun and shoot someone dead or imagine I have an affair and give birth to a mom ma- <coughs> after I recognize the severity of what I've done I say to myself oh my goodness what have I done I clap all chayt, <coughs> I put on sack I put ashes on my head I fast <coughs> 40 days and then I do a total tshuva gemur <coughs> let me ask you a question does the dead guy now come back to life does the mom's or child now no longer exist <clears throat> explains to Ms. Lashayim in the 4th parak, that Tshuva is completely utterly illogical you did an action you're held accountable <clears throat> you said something <clears throat> you're responsible for the results what do you mean you clap ochet you ask forgiveness and all of a sudden it's gone <clears throat> and explains to Ms. Lashayim that in truth <clears throat> Tshuva makes no sense and Midas Adin would demand <clears throat> that it not exist However, if it could be Hashem saw that the human being as we are cannot possibly do everything right and not do things wrong. Hashem recognized that we would do things incorrectly and therefore Hashem gave us a system of tshuva. And the way the system works is that the charotah, the regret that you feel (coughs) counteracts the original desire, the original rotson to do the act meaning to say as follows in one of the Shuzim Shus 202 <coughs> comes an intention. we spent a lot of time describing this <coughs> but basically <coughs> one of the fundamentals of our belief system is <coughs> that no human being can change the destiny of another <coughs> I can scheme I can dream but I cannot end your life <coughs> if on the previous Rosh Hashanah was slated that you will live there is nothing that I can do to change that on the other hand <coughs> if on the previous Rosh Hashanah was slated <coughs> that <coughs> this is the last year of your life certain people are given permission to be the ones to pull the trigger on the gun. Now, if I pull the trigger on the gun, I killed you. If I didn't do that, then that same result would have happened in many other different ways. A car would have crashed, maybe lightning would have come down, a tree would have fallen. But That exact result would have happened with or without me. Yet, if I elect to be the one to pull the trigger on the gun for all intents and purposes I am considered the murderer I am considered the one who perpetrated the act I am considered the one who did it and the reason for this is because via this system Hashem allows us to have free will allows us to receive reward and punishment for what we've done right or what we've done wrong but the reality is that human beings affect no outcomes whatsoever I can't touch you I can't harm you I can't help you and therefore if we were able to step away from our small vision of the world if we were able to look at the world from 35,000 feet we would understand things in a very different way. So let's go back to our case where the man pulls out a gun, Ruven pulls out a gun and shoots Shimon dead. Now Emuna 101 tells us that if on the previous Rosh Hashanah Shimon was decreed a year of life there is nothing that Ruven or any other human being could do to change that decree. However, obviously, <coughs> Shimon was decreed that this would be his last year on life. And additionally, Hashem decreed that certain people would have the option to pull the trigger on the gun. If Ruvain didn't pull the trigger, <coughs> Shimon would be hit by a cab, hit by lightning, or whatever else would happen to him. He would be as dead as a doornail today. But because Ruvain chose to be the one to pull the trigger, <coughs> for all intents and purposes, <coughs> Ruvain is considered Shimon's murderer. In reality, Ruvain did nothing. <coughs> Shimon would have died anyway, Shimon is a dead man walking (coughs) but to allow for free will (coughs) to allow for reward and punishment (coughs) Hashem allowed Ruvain to be the one to pull the trigger (coughs) allowed him to be (coughs) the one who did the act and that act is attributed to Ruvain. (coughs) it's put onto his calculations onto his cheshben (coughs) even though in reality he didn't do it it would have happened anyway (coughs) it's attributed to him he's considered the one to do it and that's really (coughs) how tshuva works you see in reality Ruvain did nothing to Shimon the only reason he's attached to that act the only reason it's attributed to him <coughs> is because of his desire, his rotson to do it he willed it to be <coughs> Hashem allowed him to be the <coughs> one to do it and therefore that act is attributed to him explains in the <coughs> if a person has charot, if a person has regret and if his regret <coughs> equals out the same <coughs> rotson, the same will he had originally Hashem created a system of tshuva <coughs> that act is no longer attributed to you it would have happened anyway <coughs> in Shimon anywhere was slated to die. Your only attachment to it was through your desire. <coughs> if you now have the opposite <coughs> regret, total remorse, <coughs> that <coughs> is the equivalent of your original desire, then you're unattached from the act, and that's basically how tshuva works. However, <coughs> that is a tremendous chesed, and it's a tremendous <coughs> system of chesed that's given to the Jewish nation. <coughs> the Gentiles do not have such a system of tshuva. And the concept of eradicating an act, basically, the Rishonim explained, does not apply to them. It's really based on a Gemara, but it's a special chesed, special mercy that Hashem has on his beloved people that allows us to erase acts. The reason why Yonah used a limited expression, not the 13 Midos, is because the 13 Midos refer to the extent of Hashem's mercy only vis-à-vis the Jewish nation, because we have the system of tshuva that actually disconnects us from the act totally <coughs> makes the act as if it's not there at all <coughs> and that <coughs> didn't apply to Ninve and therefore unit uses expression but this concept <coughs> I believe should be very very potent and very very moving for us <coughs> because again as I mentioned last session the reality is that when we leave this earth every action of our life will be there in vivid technicolor with all of the details my intentions <coughs> my thoughts my action, my deeds, everything right there for the whole world to see. And if you're like most of us, I'm sure there are many moments of your life that you're quite proud of, many things that you've done, many things you were involved in that you'd like the whole world to see. But again, if you're like most of us, I'm sure there are many moments that you're not so proud of, many moments that you wish never happened, many moments that you rue the day you ever were involved in such a thing, and you're aghast with wonder, how did I sink so low? How did I ever do that? Understanding that those moments are with me for eternity, forever are a part of me, is a very frightening thought. And when you understand that, you understand the great gift of Chuva. Chuva <clears throat> can take an entire event and eradicate it, erase it. It could take an hour and just wipe it out. It could take a day, it could take a week, it could take a month, it could take maybe years of a person's life, things that they were involved in for a long time and just eliminate it. It doesn't make sense. According to the rules of justice, according to Din, it's illogical, but again, out of mercy, out of kindliness, Hashem gave us this tshuva and Hashem gave us a special time of the year to use, a time where our hearts are more receptive, a time when it's easier to do tshuva, Yom Kippur specifically a Jewish heart is ready, it's open Hashem is waiting for our Tshuva, Hashem helps us you take one step forward, Hashem says I'll push the rest of the way and Chuva can change our eternity can change our destiny to an extent that's hard to envision or hard to imagine but it's important to remember that it's charata the main thing of chuva is regret and the Shari Tshuva explains to us that there are many, many levels to chuva. <coughs> As the Mabit explained to us, Ninveh did a Tshuva. And Hashem accepts chuva from anywhere. And the Radak explains that if a guy does chuva, it definitely works. <coughs> it will work to a large extent. <coughs> it may even work <coughs> far more than a person can imagine because Hashem loves all of His creations <coughs> and Tshuva does work for everyone. Again, it's a special <coughs> love that Hashem has to the Jewish nation <coughs> and therefore chuva is easier, chuva is more effective but explains the Chari Chuva that there are many levels to Chuva. If you do an insincere Chuva as the people of Ninve did, it takes off whatever it takes off for a time being. If a person does a complete Chuva, it completely eliminates the sin. But between insincerity and complete regret, there are many, many levels. And the Chari Chuva gives us a muscle. He says, imagine that I have a long, beautiful white cloak and some, someone comes in the road and splashes it with mud there's mud on the coat so what do I do I rub the coat and some of the mud comes off I rub it some more and more of it comes off I rub some more and still more but there's still a stain there's still an imprint you could see the the mud where it, where it hit where it dried so if I rub some more it comes out more if I rub some more it comes out more and if you really really rub deeply into the fabric and really dig down deeply into it you could eliminate the stain completely so that the coat is again white and clean and you can't even tell that it was stained. Shari Tshuva uses this as a Marshall. The Masil Sharm explains that what this refers to is there are many, many levels to chuva. The main essence of chuva is regret. <clears throat> if a person stands in front of Hashem and says the words, I deeply regret that which I've done. Chattasi, Avisi, Pashasi, I wish I'd never have done it before and I have planned X, Y, and Z to make sure that I never do it again that is Tshuva the main element of Tshuva is the Charata you need Vido you have to speak it out you need to have a Kabbalah an acceptance in the future how you're going to eliminate it but the main aspect the main element of Tshuva is the Charata but the level of regret the level of remorse will determine how much of the sin is removed much like the stain on the coat. If a person stands in front of Hashem on Yom Kippur and says, Hashem, I deeply regret it, that will remove some of the stain. If a person feels it more deeply, removes it a little bit more. If a person really, really feels deep, utter remorse and regret, removes it more. If a person has tears in his eyes, bitter, bitter tears, crying out to his Creator, Hashem, I'm aghast, and I stand here as a klima, I'm embarrassed, and by what I've done, I wish it would never be. And if Hashem would say aidus on that person, that this same person in that same situation wouldn't have done it again, and his remorse is so great and that removes the sin as if it weren't there at all. But again, there are many, many levels. Even the most insincere chuva will work. People in Nineveh prove that. But to really eradicate and to really eliminate, there are levels and levels the more chuva a person does, the more he feels the remorse the more deeply it cleans ultimately a person is capable of removing a sin and the Masha tells us that it's not just a sin, it's any sin the marshal explains that the worst human being who ever lived might well have been ben Avat, might well have been a man who became one of the most wicked people who ever lived if you take the most wicked man who ever lived if you take such a man, you take an Elisha ben Avuya who became Acher, <coughs> explains the Masha, even those people could have done Tshuva, chuva <coughs> works, nothing stands in front of chuva. <coughs> Hashem created us, Hashem gave us a nature, Hashem knew that we would excel in many areas, and we'd fail in others, and Hashem gave us a system of chuva <coughs> and Hashem waits for us, <coughs> Hashem says, <coughs> return a little bit, I'll push the rest of the way, there's a special Siyat Rishmai, a special help, if we do it, it works, <coughs> and we have to step forward, Hashem gave give us specific times that it's even easier to do. And that's the Sarei Shem Etchuvah. that's Shem Kippur. May Hashem grant us that we use these opportunities properly, that we gain ultimate closeness, we bring Hashem as close as we can, and experience the ultimate reason why we're put on the planet.